0: Do a person's beliefs about creation impact the rest of their theology? And what does the Bible have to say about creation? We'll talk about that in today's episode of the American Christian Podcast. So let's get started. What's up, everybody? My name is Joe Oster, host and producer of the American Christian Podcast, where I answer questions about the Christian faith as a pastor and a follower of Jesus Christ. If you find this podcast useful, would you consider subscribing and also share it with someone who might find it beneficial as well? You know, one of the most important parts of Scripture to understand is the creation account in Genesis. Many people, even good Christian people, dismiss the creation account as secondary. While we can get caught up in the debate and lose focus on the spreading of the gospel, I want to posit that what a person believes about creation plays a significant role in how they view theology in general, and most importantly, how they view the gospel. For the sake of this podcast, we obviously don't have time to dive into each of the views of creation and dissect them all, so we'll read what the scripture has to say and take it at face value. In Genesis chapter number 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, The herb-yielding seed, the fruit-bearing tree after its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and herb-yielding seed after its kind, and the tree-yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself and after its kind, and God saw that it was good, and the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also, and God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and divide the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that has life, the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of the heaven. And God created great whales, every living creature that moves, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth every living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of man God created him male and female, created he them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in which it is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, to every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day." Again, we don't have time to dissect the four major theories of creation, but they are the gap theory, the day-age theory, the framework hypothesis, and a literal six-day creation. As we've read, Genesis 1 gives us the biblical account of creation, and I encourage you to go back and read through it yourself. The first day, he created light and separated light from darkness. Day two, God created the sea and the sky. Day three, he created land and plant life. Day four, he created the sun, moon, and stars. Day five, he created the birds and aquatic life. Day six, he created land, animals, and human beings. And on the seventh day, the Bible tells us, he rested from his work. So the book of Genesis tells us that God created every living thing that creeps on the earth in a six-day time period. Where things begin to go amok is when people begin to interpret the Scripture in all kinds of weird ways. We've been taught in school and on TV and in books that the earth is millions and millions of years old. However, we don't find that time period in Scripture. An honest time period assessment of Scripture will give us from creation until the days of Noah were roughly 2,000 years. From the days of Noah to Jesus Christ were roughly 2,000 years, and this is 2020, so since Christ was on the earth, it's been about... Two thousand years. So, from a biblical perspective, the Earth is only six to seven thousand years old, not millions and millions of years. However, if a person is going to believe that the Earth is millions of years old and believe the Bible, then they have to place those millions of years somewhere in the creation account. Some people want to place the millions of years before Genesis 1:1. Gap theorists want to place them in a gap between verse one and two, and then there's others that want to spread the millions of years out over the six days of creation. What are all of these views doing? Well, they're adding to Scripture, and Proverbs 30 and verse 6 tells us not to add to His Word, lest He reprove you, and you be found a liar. The day-age theory is another view that seeks to place the millions of years within the six-day creation period. And this is the idea that a day is like a thousand years. They get this from 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, where it says, "...a day with the Lord is like a thousand years." But the verse goes on to say that a thousand years is like a day, so it kind of cancels out their argument. This seems to be the only time in Scripture where people have a problem with the interpretation of the word day. They believe when the word day is used in Genesis that it doesn't literally mean a 24-hour time period, but it can mean a much longer time period than that. Outside of Genesis 1, in the Old Testament, the word day is used with a number 410 times. In every instance, it means an ordinary day. Outside of Genesis, the word morning and evening appear together without the word day 38 times, and every single time it means an ordinary day. The word evening and morning appear together with the word day 23 times outside of Genesis, and in every single instance it means an ordinary day. The word night appears with the word day outside of Genesis 52 times, and in every instance it means an ordinary day. If you read the creation account, the language that is used is the evening and the morning or the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day, the evening and the morning were the third day, and so on, fourth day, fifth day, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. What more could God do to convince people that this was an ordinary day? They say that the word day could mean a thousand years, but my question is, where does that get applied to other areas of Scripture? When was the last time you were in a Bible study listening to the story of Jonah when he was in the big fish for three days? When has anyone ever stood up and said, Wait a minute, a day with the Lord's like a thousand years. Maybe Jonah was in the fish for three thousand years. Or if you're studying the book of Joshua and he marched around the city of Jericho for seven days, and someone says, Wait, a day with the Lord's like a thousand years. So Joshua must have marched around Jericho for seven thousand years. Well, that doesn't make any sense. What makes sense is that God created the world in six literal days, just like the scripture says. So why is it important to have a correct interpretation and view of the first two chapters of Genesis? Because if the Bible can't be trusted in the first two chapters, what makes it trustworthy throughout the rest of the book? The first 11 chapters of Genesis, they set the stage for the rest of the biblical story. You can't understand the unfolding narrative of scripture without Genesis 1 through 11. There's so much foundational material in these chapters for the rest of the Bible, for example, creation, the fall, sin, the certainty of judgment, the necessity of a Savior, and the introduction of the gospel. To ignore these foundational doctrines would render the rest of the Bible as unintelligible and irrelevant. Christian theology is based on the historical accuracy of the Genesis account. The concept of marriage comes right out of the creation account in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. It's referenced by Jesus in all three synoptic gospels. The Lord himself acknowledges that man was created male and female from the beginning of creation, Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. And these statements, to be comprehensible, rely on the historical accuracy of the Genesis creation account. And most importantly, listen to this. The doctrine of salvation depends on the existence of a literal person named Adam. Well, if God did not create the world in six literal days, what's to say he did not create a literal Adam and a literal Eve? Twice in Paul's epistles, in Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15, Paul links our salvation in Christ with our identification in Adam. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21 and 22, it says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came by man, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. The entire human race is in a fallen state by virtue of being in Adam through our natural birth. In similar manner, those who are saved are in Christ through spiritual birth. The in-Adam and in-Christ distinction is crucial to have an understanding of Christianity. And this distinction makes no sense if there was no literal Adam from whom all humanity descended. Paul argues in a similar manner in Romans 5.12, and he says, Therefore just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and this way death came to all men because all sinned. You see, this verse is the linchpin in the argument for the total depravity of man, and just like the 1 Corinthians passage, it depends on a literal Adam for it to make any kind of sense at all. Without having a literal Adam, there's no literal sin, and there's no need for a literal Savior. Without believing the literal Genesis account of creation, how can a person believe that we needed a real Savior to die on a real cross to take away our very real sin? Do you see how important it is to believe all of the Scripture instead of picking and choosing which parts you believe? Man, I hope this podcast will help you today, and if you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit to be saved, would you call out to God? The scripture tells us that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I hope this podcast has been helpful in understanding the literal six-day creation in which we believe. And if you'd be interested in partnering with the American Christian Podcast so we can continue to deliver this biblical truth, please visit www.americanchristianpodcast.com and click on the donate button in the upper right-hand portion of the page. If you'd like to stay connected, please like, friend, or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the American Christian Podcast. And you can also email me at theamericanchristianpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Until next time, remember First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 that says, Be sober and be vigilant, for your adversary the devil walks around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Until next time, God bless you.